0: Hello, and welcome to You've Got to Read This, a podcast for those with a passion for reading. Each year, hundreds of thousands of books are published in the U.S. Millions are published worldwide. Join us as we navigate the world of books in hopes of introducing you to something new. I'm Michelle Dubois. And I'm Renee Seinfeld. And you're listening to You've Got to Read This. Thank you
1: for listening to You've Got to Read This. Michelle and I have a pile of books we're excited to talk about today. And we're going to start with Greenwood by Michael Christie. Michael Christie is a white Canadian author who lives between Galliano Island and Victoria, Canada. He worked for six years at an emergency homeless shelter and also worked as a carpenter. He's the author of two novels and a book of short stories. His novel Greenwood was published in 2019 and surrounds the fictional Greenwood family over the course of 130 years.
0: So tell our listeners
1: more about the book.
0: This was a really imaginative family saga. The story kicks off in the year 2038 with a character named Jake Greenwood. Jake is a young woman and tour guide at one of the world's last remaining forests. Essentially, a fungal infestation has decimated the world's forests, causing dust bowls and global financial collapse. Those who can afford to pay handsomely for a retreat at Greenwood Arboreal Cathedral. But this is not the focus of the story. Jake and the last remaining forest are the starting point of a family history. The author takes us back in time and introduces us to Jake's ancestors, including her father, grandmother, great-grandfather, and great-uncle. Each family member has a relationship with the forest. One of them exploits the forest. One extracts the bare necessities from it. Another is a woodworker and artisan, while the fourth member seeks to protect it. And in addition to that, then there's the family secret. When it's a big secret and that secret manifests into multiple family secrets. And what I liked
1: is that those secrets began to spill over from one generation to another. And as I'm reading this story, the secret, that silence almost became its own quiet character throughout the book. Um, And Some of the secrets were only known to the reader of the story. Um, That information withheld became a quiet burden carried by every character. While I got deeper into the book, I can't tell you how many times I just wanted to shout at the characters if you would just share all of this. It would explain so much about all of your relationships with each other, explain who you are and how you
0: interact in the world. Yeah, I would call it like generational trauma. As you said, the characters don't know that they're carrying this burden from prior generations because they weren't privy to the original secret. And it can't help but inspire anyone who reads the story to
1: wonder about their own family. I feel like after three generations, we we all kind of lose you know, lose information, Um, and I think family history, not even secrets, but just information withheld from future generations. Um, I think information that would be helpful in understanding who you are and where you came from. In general, I really, really enjoyed this book. To our listeners, if you enjoy multi-generational stories, stories that pass you from character to character, or if you're looking for a novel to transport
0: you, then I would say that Greenwood is is a must-read, And if you enjoy stories that have a little bit of mystery to them, I would say you've got to read this. The book again is Greenwood by Michael Christie. You can buy any of the books we discuss in this podcast. Simply click the details feature within each episode, scroll down to find your book and click the highlighted title. You will be routed to Bookshop where you can purchase many of the books at a discount in almost any format hardcover, paperback, audio, or CD. As affiliates of Bookshop LLC, Renee and I will receive a portion of each sale. Bookshop also pools and distributes 10% of its sales to independent bookstores across the U.S. Again, click details, choose your book, and you'll be routed to our Bookshop page. We only get credit if you buy through our page. Thank you for supporting this podcast and indie bookstores across the United States. Renee, what's next on the pile?
1: Yeah, so I'd like to talk about a novel I just finished called A Burning by Megha Majumdar. Megha Majumdar was born and raised in Kolkata, India. She moved to the United States to attend college at Harvard University, then earned her graduate degree in social anthropology at Johns Hopkins University. She's now an associate editor at Catapult. Her debut novel, A Burning, was published in June of 2020. The novel, A Burning, takes place in India as we follow the lives of three characters. Javan, a young woman, witnesses a terrorist attack directed at a train full of passengers killing 100 people. As she watches others post their bold feelings and opinions on Facebook, she pauses, takes a breath, then posts her own. Days later, she is arrested and accused of being involved with the attack. A teacher, PT Sir, is a proud man ruled by routine and order. He comes upon a political rally and is introduced to a new world of temptation. And finally, we are introduced to lovely a Hedra, both shunned and adored by society. He lives in a world of fantasy with dreams of becoming a famous Bollywood actress. As Javan's crisis escalates, those who surround her have their moral compass tested. A burning is a very powerful and moving
0: moral tale. So Renee, you really liked this book. I think it took you two, maybe three days to finish it.
1: Yeah, I really did enjoy this one. To start with, the physical book is petite. It's only 289 pages, and it's like a little present. The cover is is almost like wrapping paper. Uh, The colors are bright orange, saffron and gold, and all in the shape of flames, and the spine is really handsome on the bookshelf. Um, What I really enjoyed about this was the moral dilemma the author created for two of the three characters. Uh, The storyline was very compelling, and I enjoyed that the moral conflicts for those two people crept up slowly, as though sneaking up on the characters and almost slowly consuming them. At the root of the story, Megha Majumdar shows us that morality is a fragile thing and a very fluid thing. And at every moment, we all have the ability to make principled decisions. But most importantly, do we have the strength to make those principled choices? How
0: are the three characters related?
1: So Javon, she's the protagonist, she's a young woman, and she happens to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, witnesses a terrorist event on a train. Um, she sees all these people posting their opinions about it on Facebook. She types something on her own, and two days later, the police show up at her house and arrest her. Um, we then change to PT, sir, who is her old gym teacher from school, from high school. He sees her on TV and he ends up getting called into court to testify about her. The third character is lovely. Um, Javon used to volunteer teaching him how to read and he gets called into court as well to testify about her. I also think the author skillfully condenses multiple issues that go on in India, that are going on in India, and condenses it into s- such a small novel. Uh, she talked about the conflicts between Hindus and Muslims, government corruption, the caste system, and Hidra culture.
0: Explain Hidra culture. Or what is a Hidra?
1: So, um, as I was reading, uh, Lovely was mentioned as being a Hedra. I didn't know what that was, so I Googled it, and found that the term is used to describe transgendered people in India. Hedra is also considered to be a third gender. So there's male, female, and Hedra. And what I found interesting is that their place in Indian culture is very complex on, on the one hand some hedra many hedra are actually ostracized from their families they lack societal support um, many become homeless because of it or are forced to turn to prostitution to survive um, but there is a growing in supportive hedra community and on the other hand there's also a mythological element to hedra the Hedra are accepted and have a place in Hindu mythology, and in that mythology, they're actually quite accepted and valued. Historically and in contemporary times, Hedra both bless and curse people. They also attend weddings and bless the bride and groom before a wedding. They attend birth ceremonies and bless babies. So um, a burning, um, it was kind of this combination of experiencing an engaging story and learning new things about Indian culture. Um, I think in general, if people do enjoy learning about other countries and other cultures, if you enjoy India and want to learn more about India, if you like complex moral issues in a storyline, thought-provoking reads, then I'd say you've got to read this. Um, again, the title is A Burning by Megha Majumdar. Her last name is spelled M-A-J-U-M-D-A-R.
0: So, Michelle, tell us what other books you'd like to discuss today. I've been reading The Sarah Gilchrist Mysteries by Kate Welsh. These are not your supermarket murder mystery books. These novels are smart, sophisticated, and socially relevant. I agree. I really enjoy her novels. Yeah, they're great. But before we dive into these two novels, let me tell our listeners about the author. Kate Welsh is a white writer and critic living in Scotland. Not to be confused with another author with the same name, Kate is spelled K-A-I-T-E. As a columnist for the Daily Telegraph, Welsh writes about LGBT issues and is a frequent guest on BBC4's Woman's Hour. She holds a master's degree in sexual dissidence and cultural change, which are reflected in her novels. Her works of fiction have been shortlisted for several awards, and her Sarah Gilchrist mysteries will no doubt gain her notoriety soon enough. Welsh has written two Sarah Gilchrist novels, the first titled The Wages of Sin, published in 2017, and the sequel is titled The Unquiet Heart, published in 2019. The series is described as a feminist historical crime novel set in Victorian Edinburgh, where her protagonist, Sarah Gilchrist, is enrolled as a medical student at the University of Edinburgh, much to the dismay of everyone. It is 1892, She and a handful of female classmates are the first to be admitted to Edinburgh School of Medicine, a space dominated by men and seen as ill-suited, embarrassing, and unladylike for women to engage in. I came across these novels in our local library in Kennebunk, Maine. I was not looking for a mystery. I'm not much of a mystery reader. But when I read the description, I was immediately engaged. I, know, I think you came over to me. I was in, the, in one of the aisles and you showed me the book and I got a little giddy. I
1: think um, her novels stimulate all of the pleasure centers of my brain with strong, <laughs> strong female protagonists, female firsts, uh, characters that are deeply flawed. Her professor was just just a hot mess. Um, Mm -hmm. but a good man. Um, Anything set in Victorian Scotland or or England. And I love Victorian medical history. So that just had
0: me at at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The setting is perfect. It would not be the same story if it weren't for the year and the place. And the fact that this is the first class of female students that have been accepted to a medical school.
1: And I think what also I enjoyed about the main character, Sarah, is is how she managed her stress. Um, she had was under pressure to marry. She was under pressure from her aunt and mother to, to leave school and conform to what was expected of her. And then I was surprised by the lack of support from all of her um, uh, fellow medical students who were female. I thought they'd kind of all rallied together, but they were awful to each other. Um, and I think to see her resilience and to show that resilience is hard when you're going against the grain, whatever form that is, that she just, without any support, rallied herself every day and got through every day with, uh, with such grace.
0: Well, Sarah has one more social stigma going against her. Not only is she a woman studying medicine in a man's world, which is frowned upon, and she has no interest in a husband, even though her mother or not incessantly try and find her a suitor, um, she is a fallen woman. She is no longer a virgin. And that reputation has found its way through school. And so that's one of the reasons her female classmates shun her. And what we forgot to mention is that there's a murder. And a mystery. And actually a few murders because there are two books. Yes, in book one, Sarah recognizes the cadaver in her anatomy class and the story unfolds from there. In book two, there are actually multiple murders and they're a little too close to home. And full disclosure, I'm extremely jealous of you, Renee because you got a personal response on your Goodreads review of the Sarah Gilchrist novels. (laughs) Do you want want to share that?
1: I know it's like no one ever responds to my little Goodreads reviews. And I think we're sitting on the couch one night and I'm like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Somebody responded to a review. I, I wrote that was like the first time ever. And I opened it up and I'm like, Kate Welsh, who's Kate Welsh? And I'm like, oh my gosh, she's the author. She responded to my Goodreads review.
0: And <laughs> so then, of course, my geekish moment. <laughs> oh, well, you deserved it. I quickly rushed to my Goodreads to see if Kate Welsh had responded to mine. Of course, I started mine off by saying pure enjoyment, thinking she would love that. But no, I got no love.
1: <laughs> and I think what I like too is I, I think I mentioned in the book, I hope she, or in the review, I hope she writes more books. And she said she is. Yes, more, to quote her,
0: she said, Definitely continuing with the Sarah Gilchrist series.
1: Yay. Very exciting. Very exciting. Good
0: pick. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very good pick. So I would say if you like historical fiction, if you like feminist focused uh, stories or fiction, if you like mysteries, you've got to read this.
1: I would agree. I would agree.
0: And uh, what do you have there for nonfiction? Nonfiction. I have Luis Alberto Urrea's book, The Devil's Highway. It was published in 2004. It traces the real and very disastrous crossing of 26 young men from Mexico into Arizona during May of 2001. Only 12 of the 26 survived the crossing. The book is the culmination of a year-long journalistic investigation by the author, a man familiar with the border. He is a Mexican-American author, born in Tijuana to a Mexican father and a white American mother. He is also an award-winning author of several works of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Some of those works include Into the Beautiful North, The Fever of Being, and Across the Wire. Noteworthy that his book, Across the Wire, also deals with the border, and he humbly includes it as a book for additional reading on the topic. Uh, The Devil's Highway was a finalist for a Pulitzer Prize, and um, Urea teaches creative writing at the University of Illinois, Chicago. Reyes spent a year investigating this story. He traveled multiple times across the U.S.-Mexican border, walked through the desert in the areas where these men um, journeyed, many of them perished, and he read documents. Um, He investigated and interviewed with Border Patrol, and he even interviewed the survivors. This book is a compilation of about four notebooks and 144 pages each. He says most of that went into this book. And what made this incident
1: more newsworthy at the time than other border crossing deaths?
0: For one, it was the largest number of deaths experienced in any one group of migrants in a single crossing. So that that was very newsworthy and shocking. Secondly, the circumstances that caused these horrific deaths led to criminal charges and an outcry from both Mexican and American citizens and some officials demanding changes at the border to prevent another catastrophe of human life. Urea uh, essentially set out to investigate all sides of the story. You know, the involvement of the Mexican government, involvement of U.S. uh, policies and government. What role did the Border Patrol play? Uh, What role do the... um, smugglers play. And, and he really pieces that all together. You
1: mentioned, um, criminal charges.
0: Um, who are they looking at prosecuting the surviving smuggler who went by the name Mendez? He was charged and convicted with the 14 murders, deaths, which they considered murders at the time of the crossing. He was only 19 years old, but he had completed a dozen crossings previously purportedly without incident. This particular crossing was different in two ways, both of which contributed to the death of fourteen of the walkers. First, the route was changed last minute. Mendez had never taken this route before. Um, the reason it was changed is because they were trying to avoid heightened patrolling along their usual route. That was problem number one. The second problem is that an older, more experienced smuggler who was familiar with this revised smuggling route Failed to show up on the day of the crossing, it left Mendez, this 19-year-old, in charge of yeah taking these 26 young men into rugged terrain, uh, in unfamiliar territory. So he was eventually convicted of murdering them because he, in the end he abandoned them on I think the fourth day. He said he was going in search of help and water, but he never returned.
1: It sounds like a sounds like a heavy read. It sounds informative, relevant, painful, and and quite necessary.
0: It, it is. I mean, there were a few positive outcomes of this disaster. Um, certainly, it, it highlighted the humanitarian crisis happening at the border. Prior to our current U.S. presidency, efforts had been taken to improve the survival rate of the dangers um, involved in traversing the Arizona desert. For example, Border Patrol of this particular sector where it happened between Yuma and Welton, Arizona, they have erected... Um, life-saving towers which are capped with aluminum so they reflect in the sun and they even uh, flash in the nighttime yeah, they stand thirty feet tall, so you can see them from a distance, and the walkers will essentially, you know, head towards them because they're in the middle of a des- of a desert. There's nothing around them, so when they see this, they'll they'll walk towards it. It's then uh, once they arrive, they see a sign with uh, writing in Spanish and illustrations that instruct them to press this button for help, and within an hour, U.S. border will arrive. That has saved. Uh, hundreds of of migrants that get trapped in the desert and find themselves uh, exhausted and and, and many times without water. I mean, in the end, I think what many readers of this book appreciate is Ureya's efforts to present all sides of the story, which I found fascinating. Um, He talks about the walkers, uh, which are the migrants, the coyotes, also referred to as the smugglers, as well as um, government policies and actions of the Border Patrol agents. In summary, if you want a deeper understanding of why people attempt to cross the U.S. illegally and what the motivations are of both the walkers and the smugglers, and if you want to learn more about Border Patrol or immigration policy, then you've got to read this. The book, again, is The Devil's Highway, A True Story by Luis Alberto Urea. That's spelled U-R-R-E-A.
1: nice to end the show with a fun book and that fun book is wow no thank you by samantha irby samantha irby is a black american author comedian and blogger originally from evanston illinois she lived in chicago for many years and now lives in kalamazoo michigan samantha irby has written four books of comedic essays and wow no thank you was published in march of 2020 first off the cover of the book is this bright spring green and has the photo of this big brown cuddly bunny on the cover And uh, I have to say, I adored this book. Um, Her essays are funny. Some of them are gritty and oh so relatable.
0: So Renee, you and Samantha Irby share a commonality. She is originally from Evanston, Illinois, and you are from Skokie, Illinois. Yeah, so Evanston and Skokie both abut the north side of Chicago. They're right next to each other off of Lake Michigan, and I didn't even know that about her until I read her book. It was a, a fun find. That's awesome. It's great kinship to have with the author. Yeah. So tell us about your favorite essays or topics that she discusses. Yeah, some of my favorites were trying to rally yourself to go out on a
1: Saturday night when you're over 40 years old I think a lot of people can relate to that Um, Feeling startled by the friendliness of neighbors when transitioning from big city living to small city living Being a black woman with a white wife in a red state Owning a house for the first time in the woes of homeownership uh, and trying to make new friends as an adult Um, I also really respect anyone um, who could be so publicly candid about things that most of us would be too embarrassed to talk about like bodily functions? She has Crohn's disease and discuss the embarrassing moments it can often bring and I think What makes it fun is in a myriad of ways all of our bodies will eventually betray us whether it's because we're aging or because we have medical issues And she skillfully squeezes the humor out of those types of things in um, almost like a Zen a Zen way. I think huh.
0: few people are skilled you know, to do that So I haven't read the book yet, but you read out loud to me one of the essays titled Detachment Parenting, in which she's totally intimidated by her stepchildren's homework. And she starts musing that maybe she must have taken remedial classes as a kid. Otherwise, these kids are just geniuses. And so she goes on a list of about 25 plus things that she could teach a kid, like which cleaning products you shouldn't mix or the benefits of an Epsom salt foot soak.
1: Some of the others were, uh, look, she could help them with the entire cast of the Game of Thrones if, she had, if they had any questions, or she could tell them how to file a tax extension or give advice on fantasy football draft picks. It was, it was really funny. And I have to say, in summary, I chuckled deeply reading her essays and look forward to reading all of her other books. Again, the book is Wow, No Thank You by Samantha Irby. Her last name is spelled I-R-B-Y.
0: Well, that completes our pilot episode of You've Got to Read This. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can find a list of these books and other titles by viewing the details section of this episode. We hope we've introduced you to something new. The theme music for our show was composed and performed by Renee Seinfeld.